0: Your correction,
1: Oh, are we recording? <laughs>
0: Shoot, hi, hey there,
1: welcome we're murder
0: aboard. of ages. Yeah, welcome aboard the
1: <laughs> SS <laughs> Express Murder. <laughs> I'm Karen, I'm Marcy. Um, I I do have a correction because I'm an idiot, and last episode. I was talking about a podcast that I listened to to help me fall asleep. Sleepy time. Yeah. Apparently, it's it's not sleepy time. <laughs> and, like, I subconsciously knew that, but I, mm-hmm. I rolled with it. Yeah. I felt like I sold it. Um, it's called Get Sleepy. Um,
0: yeah, because I search sleeping time <laughs> you didn't and that was not what i <laughs>
1: got don't <laughs> lie <laughs> um so yeah that was my
0: sorry and we also watched the ghost adventures episode fra- about the ignatius hospital mm-hmm. in colfax so i read that they shut down the tours because it was a new owner and the new owner didn't agree with it right Well, Mr. Baggins (laughs) said that actually it was because a dark entity (laughs) has moved in here. So I honestly. They were too scared to go back or something like that. I think it's
1: so dramatic. I,
0: I think the new owner just doesn't want people in his hospital. Right. And then apparently a homeless person was living upstairs and they vacated. Because of a dark entity.
1: Right. <laughs> Not because they were homeless. <laughs> yeah, and trespassing. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, chill uh, out, bro. Hey, you know what? I He makes a lot of money, so. Yeah, are locking Aaron in rooms. Yeah, you keep doing <laughs> what you're doing, Zach. <laughs> Other than that, it
0: was very good. They did catch some awesome It was actually evidence. pretty creepy. Yeah, it was, it was really good. good. Oh, I'm first. You're up. I have the past murder case. That happened pre-1985. Yes. I got all of my information from OregonLive.com. They did a an investigative piece called The Ghosts of Highway 20.
1: Oh. They
0: had this big written article and then also YouTube documentary with it. Oh, it was so good. All of it was oh. so well done. I'm basically retelling that article. Perfect. For everyone. <laughs> The story takes place along Highway 20, which cuts in the middle of Oregon, so it starts over at Newport on the coast. Okay. And goes, you drive on it if you're going to go over to Bend or, oh, I think we took it when we went to Bend and then also when we went to Sumpner, cause it it goes into like the Cascade foothills. Okay. Okay. So... Over two decades, starting in the late 1970s, four women disappeared along this country road, and maybe more. Mm. The suspect, John Aykroyd. A little bit about John. He grew up in Sweet Home, Oregon, small town. He was the middle child between two sisters, low achiever, and his diploma marked special education. Mm. He was a loner, and he was bullied by his peers. An acquaintance told a detective how he once watched as Aykroyd as a young man, hacked up puppies using a machete. Oh, my Saying the dogs were his and nobody else could have them. Ugh. And he also liked to drive the back roads, shooting squirrels and cutting off
1: their tails. What the hell? It's just an overall... I mean, that's just a serial killer in the making. Yeah, a lot of red flags.
0: As a teenager, he fa- he faced felony theft charges and decided to enlist in the Army. He worked as a mechanic in Korea, Thailand, and Germany. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, he ended up being investigated for selling marijuana and going AWOL. Hmm. He was caught trying to steal equipment. Oh. So he was let go from the Army. Once home, he got a state job working for the highway department along... <laughs> Highway 20. (gasps) No way. He earned generally positive reviews, though his supervisors noted his occasional laziness and frequent time off. Hmm. So his work took him on long hours alone on Highway 20. He knew how to navigate the hills and hairpin turns and the little dirt roads that led off the highway and into the forest. His first victim is actually a survivor. Her name is Marlene Gabrielson. She was from Lebanon, Oregon. So this was 1977. Okay. She's 20 years old, newlywed, and a new mother. Mm. It's a three-month-old baby girl. God, so young. I know. They should have pictures of her. She's such a beautiful young woman. Um, Marlene and her husband, they planned their first night away. So it's the first time she'd be leaving her baby to Sisters, Oregon, which is about 90 minutes uh-huh. from their home. And they went to go attend the rodeo. So they're sitting around the campfire drinking beer. They get into an argument because he, her husband said he wants to go hang out with friends. And so she says, well, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go find a ride. Which, I mean, you're drinking and you're also 20 years old. Yeah. You're going to get into a fight. <laughs> So, at the campground, a stranger said he had a buddy, John Aykroyd, who could give her a ride. And she'd hitchhiked before, so she didn't really have – she felt fairly comfortable doing Mm -hmm. it, so she got in between
1: the two men. God, just hitchhiking, I understand that was kind of more of a norm back then, Mm -hmm. but even like taking an Uber by myself, I'm so freaked out. Oh, and this guy, I mean – John is a big guy,
0: and he's, like, dirty. It said how dirty the truck was. But, you know, she's drunk. Well, and it's a friend of a friend's? No. it's The guy is a stranger, the one that told her he had a friend. Oh, so she doesn't even know him. Oh, okay. A little bit into the drive, the stranger she met who was with her said he was going to get out, and she noticed he had to reach through the window and un- undo the door from the outside okay so the inside latch doesn't work before he shuts the door he rolls up the window of course and she is alone and trapped in this vehicle right well the alcohol is kicking in she's getting that dizzy feeling
1: and she falls asleep oh at least she falls Hmm. asleep though because i've been in that dizzy feeling and i am throwing up i it's probably what she should she yeah she should have just threw up all over the truck
0: So she was woken up by John Aykroyd grabbing her legs and pulling her out of the truck. Mm. So violently, so violently, her head banged the door frame as she was pulled out. Oh, shit. He put his hunting knife against her neck and told her she was going to do as he said. He ripped off her jeans with such force that the pants split along the inseam. Wow. Ankle to crotch. He sliced off her boots and her underwear and threw them to the ground. And the boots were a gift from her husband. What are, they were buckskin boots.
1: Mm.
0: Something that they couldn't even really afford. Mm-hmm. So, they, you know, they meaningful to her. Right. So, after the rape, um, they had this conversation. He said, I'm not sure what to do with you. And she said, well, you can take me home. And he said he didn't know if he wanted to do that. But she told mm. him she had a new baby and pleaded with him to take her home. So he thought about it, and he went back to his truck and grabbed a pair of old pants for her to put on, and he drove to his house and Sweet home, which he shared with his mother. He used the restroom and got a soda, while Marlene waited in the truck, terrified. Because mm-hmm. she also knew that she needed to get to the police, but she was also going to need evidence for them Yeah, and be able to... Point them in the direction of who this guy is. Right. So she acted like she was into him and asked for his phone number. Yes. Yes. It's very smart.
1: Very. And he
0: said, "Oh yeah, maybe we should see each other again." And she said, "Oh, that sounds like a good idea." I don't even know how you could think calmly in that situation.
1: No. To do that, it's almost like you're just adrenaline and like survival mode, especially being a mom. (sighs) So you know, you're just trying to live. I mean, I did that one story where that girl, same thing. She pretended like she was in love with him, and he was, like, her savior after he shot her.
0: Yeah, that's right, because he didn't even – he, like, snapped out of it, kind of, didn't even realize what he had done. Yeah,
1: he's like, oh, my God, what happened? You're bleeding. And she's like, you saved me, you know? I mean, it's almost – I guess especially back in the day where women were looked at as damsels in distress, and, you know, you have the big guy to – be a savior yeah and they just want that almost recognition i guess
0: yeah yeah i don't know if i'd be able to
1: think like that that fast so
0: she had akroyd drop her off at her mother-in-law's house i think she probably didn't want him to know where she lived so um as soon as he dropped off she ran into the house and she's crying she's holding her clothes that he had ripped has on these weird pants yeah And her mother-in-law is like, my God, what happened to you? You need to go take a bath. And she said, no, I need to get to the police. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking a bath. I'm keeping all this evidence on me. So she went to the hospital. Rape kit was done. They evaluated her. uh, Talked to Aykroyd. She had his phone number. And he, of course, denied the rape, claiming that she had seduced him. And that he gave her a pair of pants because she had ripped hers off. Ripped hers while taking them off. Hmm. And his mother told detectives she had peeked out the window that night and saw Marlene in the front seat. And she said her son was shy around women. So the other man in the truck from the campground told police that akred wasn't the violent type and that Marlene was drunk.
1: It's always the girl's fault. hmm So fucking annoying. This is really maddening. So
0: Marlene's mother-in-law told police how upset Marlene was, and she also gave them the bag of clothes. At the hospital, officers took notes of her back was all scratched. She had bruises on her legs and her knees and her back, but the police were still skeptical. So Marlene's actually in the documentary, and she said, it was because I'm a Native American poor young woman that they basically just wrote her off
1: god so horrible
0: they polygraphed both john and marlene and these are what they asked her they said did she they asked him did she tell the truth about being raped did she feel she had been raped was there a question she was afraid to answer oh so those are what she asked they asked that marlene they asked marlene those questions His questions were, did you force her to have sex at knife point? Do you have a knife in your hand when you had sex? Did you tear off her bra? No. The conclusion they came to from the polygraphs was that Marlene was lying and Eckroyd wasn't. I don't know where they hired that person who does the
1: analysis. And it's hard when you're freaking out because it goes by heart rate. Mm-hmm. So if you're freaking out because you just went through this traumatic event. Well, and the way they took her to go take the polygraph is they
0: put her in the back of a police car.
1: Oh, my like God. Like a criminal.
0: Right. So disgusting. And because of this, so um, the district attorney decided that he wouldn't face charges. And if they would have done something and maybe arrested him, four other women wouldn't have been murdered. Right. So fucking stupid. I can't. It's it's such a depressing case. <laughs> so, you're I'm welcome. glad she
1: survived and she was able to at least speak on the behalf.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, of the it's like it didn't even. I know. So 78. Um, it's Christmas Eve. Kay Turner, 35, is on a fly fishing trip with her friends and husband at a town called Camp Sherman. And she left at 8:15 on the morning to go on an eight-mile run. So, there was a highway worker named Thomas Hanna, and he saw two people on the road that morning going through Camp Sherman. He saw Kay jogging and his coworker John Aykroyd. Mm, no! Uh, Kay's husband, Noel, immediately called police when she hadn't returned by 10 a.m., and he took a drive to try and find her. Good. They, of course, didn't find anything. So, the day after Christmas, trackers found two sets of footprints in the area. Uh, there was foot spent, uh, footprints from a smaller person and of a larger person, mm-hmm. and there was a, you, they could tell there was a struggle, and that the larger person had drug the smaller one off. Oh, no. But police didn't buy the tracker story as credible, and they told the men to drop it.
1: Of course.
0: Four days later, headlines in Portland, and the Portland Oregonian read, Husband Fears Kidnap... Turner searches, losing searchers, losing hope. So Hannah came forward, the other highway worker, mm-hmm. and said that he saw Kay jogging, and that he also saw Ackroyd the same morning. So finally, a couple weeks later, investigators contacted John, and he told them he got off work at 6:30 a.m. and drove through Camp Sherman to hunt coyotes, and he did pass by a runner. And the area where he was going to go, quote-unquote, hunt coyotes was not an area known for coyotes. Hmm. But they didn't really take note of him because they were thinking it was Kay's husband, Noel, who had something to do with it because she had two extramarital affairs that they had evidence of. Yikes. At the Camp Sherman, there was a store... That John liked to go to, and on one visit, the shopkeeper, Christine Weston, remembers finding him fondling himself, looking at a men's magazine sold at the store. Oh. And then a little bit later, Ackwright comes into the store again, and this time he beelines it right for Christine. And he's anxious and sweaty, and he says that he found Kay's body while hunting rabbits. Uh What? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And he said, I'm in real trouble. I was the last one to see her alive. Oh, my God. Mm. So Christine's husband, the shopkeeper, Uh he contacted state police and Aykroyd led them into the brush about a mile, half mile off the road where Kay had been running. And um, they thought it was weird because what he took them to was just bits of cloth and bone. So it looked like trash. Right. or animal carcasses. It didn't really look like human remains. Uh-huh. So they thought that was weird that Ackroyd would immediately assume they were Kay's bones. Right, like if you know quote
1: unquote just saw.
0: Mm-hmm. So they spent nearly a week looking for the rest of her and they found her jawbone, oh. her yellow running shorts, um, some of her sweatshirt, her underwear, pieces of her shoes. And this is really just kind of disturbing she was wearing a gold timex and something had knocked out the stem making the stop the watch stop and it was 9 27 a.m december 24th <gasps> so it's like they almost have a time of death yeah even. yeah and they found some of her blonde hair in a bird's nest <sighs> okay finally accurate is suspect number one Finally, So he decides to embellish on his story a little bit. He said that he did see Kay that morning. She'd already admitted to, but now he tells police, oh, I talked to her. And he adds that he found her remains months earlier. What? But didn't think to contact authorities. I mean, why would you? So he said that she had a bullet wound in her chest and her throat was cut. And he told them that he touched her arm and her hair. Ew. So the police or detectives are thinking he killed her and he would go back and visit right the remains.
1: Well, I mean, no. he doesn't even know what he's hunting for. First coyotes, <laughs> then rabbits. So <laughs> what an idiot.
0: Now, another twist. He was not alone Christmas Eve when he saw Kay. He was with his buddy, Roger Dale Beck. And they weren't hunting rabbits. Or coyotes. (laughs) They were poaching deer. And even with all that they, with what he told police, I mean, he's basically serving himself up. Right. They couldn't find any hard physical evidence Ah. to tie him to the murder. And, of course, Beck denied ever, you know, having any involvement. Right. Aykroyd kept working for the state, responding to broken down cars, clearing wrecks along highway, alone. Uh, he ended up marrying a local woman named Linda, and they lived with her young kids, Byron and Rashonda. So his poaching buddy, Beck, left Oregon, went to Minnesota, where he was convicted of a sex crime, served seven months, and then moved to California. Hmm. So, let's see, in 77, which would have been, I'm not clear if it's, before or after Marlene's rape I'm going to say after because I want, I think Marlene might have been his very first so in 77 which was the same year Marlene was attacked Karen Lee 15 and Rodney Grissom 14 were friends that had uh, ran away from home trying to make it to California and they called let's see who did they call I think they called their parents oh. uh, from a pay phone in Lebanon, Lebanon, Oregon, which is all near this Highway 20 in this area. Uh-huh. And that was in the spring of 77, and that was the last time anyone ever heard from them. Ooh. So later, Karen's jeans, pages of her journal, and the blouse she had sewn for a school project were all found off of a lo- logging road. Oh, no. Her jeans were cut, which is what seems to be his uh mo because their signature marlene's boots and underwear were sliced and so was the waistband mm-hmm. on Kay's yellow jogging shorts Though mm. so i don't i don't think their bodies were ever found but so young yeah i definitely think he had a hand in whatever happened to those two right all right that was 77 and 78 we're going forward to 1990 okay Rashonda Pickle is his 13 year old stepdaughter. Okay. She goes missing. <gasps> mm-hmm. uh, John and Rashonda's mother, Linda, were married for a short time in the 80s, but by 1990 they were divorced. Still living together, though. Okay. Yes. They lived at this junction where John worked out of. Okay. Uh, he was an abusive stepfather. When a clock fell off a shelf, he beat Rishonda with a homemade paddle.
1: Oh, my God. When
0: it snapped, he smacked her repeatedly with his open hand. At other times, friends saw her with a black eye and a wound from where he had ripped out a patch of her hair. Oh, my
1: God.
0: So disgusting. Poor girl. Rishonda seemed lost, almost invisible. When parent conferences rolled around, no one showed up in fifth grade she was withdrawn tired and would dread the end of the day mm, that's the most heartbreaking thing mm. is when kids are scared to, to go, go home. home so she invite confided in two girls who were sisters she cried and told them she was terrified to go home alone she asked if she could sleep over
1: oh like her classmates yeah
0: one time they even snuck her into their bedroom closet oh
1: my gosh
0: because Aykroyd was molesting her no oh. um, Rashonda and her brother are very close Byron Pickle he lives in Umsville I'm not sure where that is Neither. either with his wife and two kids and he had his sister Rashonda's picture tattooed on his arm he said she was a young teenage girl with hopes and dreams my children know they did have an aunt, Rashonda. So mm-hmm. sad because her uh, their mom, Linda, would go through boyfriends, and so they really sure. only had each other. Yeah. So the morning of her disappearance, or so the day of her disappearance, is July tenth. Uh, her mom leaves for work later that morning. John Aykroyd comes back unexpectedly. He's supposed to be at work, mm-hmm. and he's never and Rashonda's never seen again. Ugh his story he planned to fix snow plows but des- decided to take the day off after learning the parts hadn't arrived which confused the supervisor because there was lots of work for him to do mm-hmm. he said he returned home to find his stepdaughter under a blanket on the couch he invited her to join him on a drive to photograph deer on the backroads, but she said no saying that she had chores to finish so he
1: left wait that was in the morning Mm-hmm. why wouldn't you be like why aren't you at school if she was i don't
0: think it was a school day i want to say it was oh. like a saturday or a sunday because okay. like sure. her mom oh july 10th it's summer oh yeah Duh. her mom had left chores for a list of chores for her to do god maybe if we were listening to the story i know come on karen <laughs> be a good audience member so rashonda was gone when he returned a couple hours later supposedly right he did little to look, look for her and went and picked Linda up from work. So when they pull into the house in the evening, still no Rashonda. There was no signs of foul play. Um, her mom noticed that none of the chores were done. And the girl's hairbrush, makeup, and earrings were all still in her room. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a note, which usually Rashonda was really good about leaving a note if she went to a friend's house. Mm-hmm. But it didn't seem to bother mom. They ate. They even had sex, which I guess was something they almost never did.
1: Oh, weird.
0: Yeah, and it caused so much conflict between Linda and John that Byron knew about it. The son. Uh. He told detectives it was great. It was great. Uh. Ackroyd did.
1: (laughs) Gross.
0: Finally, in the evening, Linda asked about Rashonda. He said he didn't know, and he told her to wait until the next day to call police.
1: Mother, how could you wait?
0: I would, oh. In the morning, she dialed 911. She did as he said. How did, yeah, how did she sleep? Like, (sighs) oh my God. Apparently, just fine. Apparently. She was calm when she told the dispatcher that her daughter had gone missing. When the dispatcher asked why she didn't call sooner, Linda said, oh, don't you have to wait 24 hours before you report a missing person? No, said the dispatcher, not with children and the dispatcher asked who the last person was to see her oh her stepdad
1: wait wait wait, real quick i thought you did have to wait like 48 hours especially i think if it's an adult and 24 hours well because i've seen i guess it probably depends first of all where Mm -hmm. it is but I've seen where like you know children are missing, and police always say, "Well, you have to wait before you report because it could have just been a runaway, or oh, they just yeah. went to a friend's house." You know, they always do that shit. So I bet it depends.
0: I don't know what
1: year, and then obviously what like where. Yeah, it is. according to this, yeah,
0: not with. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe Google it. Somebody Google it. Murder. Email. email us at murderofages at gmail.com if I can talk. Okay. So he wasn't bothered that Rashonda was gone, but he did say he knew her weight and her bra size. Oh. But not her birthday. Oh, my God. So fucking disgusting. He also added that uh, she's pretty, and he noticed that she started to develop.
1: Oh, my God. I want to stab this guy in the face. Yeah, same. So, he even became sexually aroused
0: when he was shown a pair of pants that police had found in the woods that they thought belonged to her.
1: See, the death penalty is here for a reason. Yes. In some states. I guess in Oregon it is, so. He wondered if
0: Rashonda had been dumped and buried in the woods or threatened with a knife, tied up, and gagged, her body rolled in plastic. He loved to watch horror shows and would invite friends over to watch like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and he would rewind it and rewatch the parts where the girls get murdered. Over oh my and over god. Again. And so his friends, I don't know if they're really friends, acquaintances, sure. would just leave. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be so weird. So sick.
1: I'm going to do that tonight when we watch a movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good luck finding parts like that in Scoob. <laughs> Uh, During intense interrogation by investigators, he remained impassive. You know, he said, both of you sitting there pointing your fingers at me and I didn't do nothing. Didn't do anything to Kay Turner? Asked the detective. No. What about to Channy, Which was Rashonda's nickname. Mm Mm-hmm. No. Didn't do anything to anybody else? No. What do you think I am? A A sadistic killer goes around killing people, taking girls off somewhere. I didn't do nothing at the wrong place at the right time (laughs) a bunch of times at a detective twice he snapped twice that we know of right uh linda monville roshanda's mom believes her daughter is dead but she's not convinced it was her former husband well of course not she's blinded Investigators knew that without a body or implicating evidence, they weren't going to get anywhere, so they decided to go back over Kay Turner's murder. Because they know, I mean, they have a pretty good idea it's him. Right. They just need something tying them together. Oh. And they find it. Oh, good. don't don't. Okay. Good, good, good. Going over newspapers, Detective Will McAnulty found that Roger Dale Beck, the poaching buddy, Okay. So, at the time of Kay's murder, he was married to Pam. Okay. Which, Pam and John used to be a thing. He had tattooed his name on her arm when she was 12. <laughs>
1: what?
0: And then she married Roger at 14.
1: What? And this is in the 70s? The, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What the fuck? Grossville. Ah. Uh. Well, so,
0: and she was their alibi, john and roger saying that she was they were with her most of the morning but going through newspapers and seeing pam's name the detective did some digging and found out pam and roger were now divorced Uh and she's uh living in california so he thinks to himself i bet an ex-wife has more to say than a current wife right so he drove the 750 miles to california to question her and she said that the men had ordered her to lie if the police ever asked where they were Christmas Eve morning. hmm The truth. Aykroyd um, showed up at their house. The men ate and left to go poach deer, and they didn't return until the next day. Their clothes were spattered with so much blood that she got rid of Beck's jeans and shirt. Oh, wow. Unfortunately. Later, the men told her that they had mistaken Kay for a deer and shot her. Um, over time the story changed uh they raped Kay and then shot her uh, beck told pam that they were going to do the same thing to her if she told anyone oh my god Okay, mm. In 1992 investigators are getting closer to being able to arrest Aykroyd. right dozens of investigators are working on the turner case they had seized his accounts and they kept questioning him. Uh, they went to go search a storage unit that he had rented previously, but he cleared it out just a few days before police got there.
1: Hmm. Convenient.
0: Yep. He's prime suspect and he knows an arrest is imminent. He moves back home with his mother in sweet home. And he was in his truck with the daughter of an old friend. She spotted two young women that she knew Aykroyd stopped, she introduced the women to him, and they climbed in. Oh, no. Melissa Sanders, 17, from Sweet Home, and Sheila Swanson, 19, from Lebanon. They were restless and broke, drinking too much, and keeping dangerous company. Uh, They went camping with Melissa's family at Beverly Beach State Park um, on the Central Oregon Coast course they got bored and they wanted their boyfriends to pick them up boyfriends said no and so they decided to hitchhike what a shitty boyfriend (laughs) the parents awoke and of course the girls are gone so they think they just decided to hitchhike home um so the theory is that they were hitchhiking and john picked them up or they called john Mm -hmm. to come pick them up local cops um tracked down sheila's mother she had been hanging missing posters but she hadn't called the police uh and melissa's father who had waited a few days after they got home but then he called the fbi oh and then the local cops got a hold of sheila's mom uh, hunters ended up finding the bodies of two young women and it was, of course, along Ackroyd's route from the coast to Sweet Home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sheila's ankles were bound with leggings. Her sneakers and socks were still on her feet. Oh, no. So the highway working, or the state highway like station where they keep their tools oh, and yeah. trucks and stuff, there was a co-worker of Ackroyd's doing the graveyard shift. And he recalled that one night Ackroyd returned unusually late mm-hmm. with dried blood all over his hands and arms Ackroyd's explanation was that he had hit a deer and threw it in the woods and it didn't really raise any flags a couple weeks later when he was arrested for the murder of Kay turner john Aykroyd said little as he was taken into custody and a retired lynn county sheriff's office detective recalls he really was that upset He didn't rant and rave, and a little bit later, he was talking about Mariners baseball. Of course. Just, like, didn't even... I think because he just knew it was coming. Yeah. trial came to a close. Ackroyd was dressed in cowboy boots, jeans, and a studded belt with John in silver letters. It took the jury four hours to come back with. Guilty! Good. He also... So he offered his hunting buddy, Roger, said that was his alibi. But another jury found Roger guilty of murder as well of Kay. And both men received life sentences. Oh, good. Because Mr. Beck had bragged to family members about killing Kay. Oh, my God. (sighs) Stupid. Sick fuck. They are sick fucks. 2012. uh, Aykroyd never confessed to any of it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And this... So investigators decided to set up an interview thinking with time, maybe he'll just spill... Right, spill right. The, the beans. But no, he claimed his innocence and said he'll say it until the day he dies. Uh 2013, prosecutors decided to take Rashonda's case to court because... <laughs> sorry. Goosebumps. It's her ringtone. Because... Why were they taking Rashonda? Oh, they want to take Rashonda's case to court because Aykroyd could be eligible for parole. Oh. And, but if he gets uh, charged with another count of murder, he won't be. Right. So the grand jury, even though the evidence was circumstantial, they felt there was enough and they had an indictment of murder. Aykroyd enter a no- entered a no contest plea to his stepdaughter's murder. He wouldn't, which means he didn't admit to it, Mm -hmm. but he also agreed that he would never seek parole. Oh, wow. The whole hearing lasted seven minutes. Wow. (laughs) And this is super sad. So they needed to have somebody there representing Rashonda, a family member, to speak on her behalf. Yeah. And her mom refused to do it. Oh,
1: my God. So her
0: brother. Oh, good. Went and Byron. Good. And did it, made the trip with his wife. Late December 2016, Aykroyd died of heart disease. Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, Get this. This is the, like, the most insane part of this whole story. The state continued to pay out his $3,624 monthly public employee pension while he was in prison. What? Yeah. And I don't know how he stayed employed this whole time either.
1: Yeah, I don't either. They said his cell was
0: chocked full of just, like, garbage food. Like, Uh, you know,
1: snacks and sausage. You could buy it it from the commissary. Yeah.
0: Oh Oh, my God. Why not put that money into like a victim fund? Right. Or something like that. So fucked up. I know. It's really a a frustrating case. I mean, he never admits to it. Right. We don't know where Rashonda's body's never been found.
1: So sad. So, and I felt it needed to be
0: told check out the oregonlive.com live.com ghost of 20s so. though ghost of highway 20 yes very good and they go deeper into detail of course than sure. i did oh that was good Line i mean,
1: information horrible but Ugh. good yeah i haven't heard of that one and it's horrible that these these men do such horrible things especially to young girls and because i think of who was the first one what was her name marlene marlene tried you know like you said she went straight to the cops and they didn't believe her
0: everything right She kept all the evidence she could right i mean i'm sure after something that happens the first thing she probably wanted to do was take a shower or a bath right but no she sat through all the humiliating examination all the questions she said she told the story over and over again all for nothing
1: yeah you definitely need to watch that documentary on about uh jeffrey epstein on netflix just because mm-hmm. it's so horrible these survivors a lot of them went to the police and i mean obviously his situation was different because he had a lot of money and was powerful but nothing ever came of it you know and the police there was are... hundreds oh. of girls they're and supposed to so be sad. on our
0: side They're supposed to be
1: advocators, fighters. Right. Well, and the the detective that is in the documentary, he definitely was, and he was getting frustrated because he thought it was going somewhere, and then all of a sudden it's like everyone was scared of Jeffrey of scene because of all his money and powerful shit, whatever.
0: Apparently, if you're a highway worker in Sweet Home, Oregon, (laughs) you can get away with anything too. Apparently. Jesus.
1: Oh. All right. I'm up. My turn. on the mic on the ones and twos one waka 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 oh my headphones okay alright so uh, my sources are medium and also cold case files mmm do you hear
0: that evidence we're capturing yeah on our re- recording devices right now
1: paranormal I your emf
0: detector out karen <laughs> Did it spiked? What's the temperature?
1: <laughs> Too hot. <laughs> um, so it's the one on Netflix. Um, season one, episode two. The footsteps are getting closer. It sounds like a I think we scared the ghost away.
0: I got out some sage.
1: <laughs> some holy water. <laughs> Okay, so this is the double homicide of Ed and Minnie Marin. Mm. Heard of it? No. no. Oh, good. Okay.
0: Should I have? No, I
1: was just wondering.
0: Oh, I have not.
1: You have a. No, I don't That's even know. That's not my teeth. My <laughs> nose. Oh, it's going to compliment on how smart you are, but I couldn't. Oh. <laughs> it just wouldn't come out. <laughs> you can lie, but not that much. Exactly. All right, so this is in Chehalis, Washington.
0: Hey, that's where Sal was married. Oh, Chehalis. Congrats! Yeah. four
1: years ago. I
0: have no idea. Let's see, Marshall. Just three years ago? Two? Sure. It's in that range.
1: <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so December nineteenth, nineteen eighty-five. Ed and Minnie's family arrived at their house to find no one there. Dun, dun, dun. Wait,
0: aren't Ed and Minnie the ones that were the homicide victims?
1: Yeah. Oh, but there's no one at their house. Right. So their family arrived at their house. Oh, their family. Okay, gotcha. Are you even listening?
0: You didn't listen to me,
1: so just return in the paper. (laughs) I never listen to you. (laughs) Okay, so everyone was immediately worried because Ed and Minnie had invited everyone over for a Christmas party. So family called the police and reported Ed, who was 83 at the time, and Minnie, who was 81 at the time, missing. The next day, a witness uh, reported seeing Ed's car abandoned with the keys inside at like a... One of those, like, almost kind of like a strip mall type of thing. Like, just that area where there's a bunch of different shops and restaurants, whatever. Oh, yeah. So, in the parking lot was, there was only one car in the parking lot, and it was frosted over.
0: Those places always depress me. I know. Like, if we're driving there in Georgia, or driving by one of those things, and George's like, oh, we can go eat over there. It's like, oh. Yeah. It just seems so depressing. Like, the Mongolian barbecue. That's. (laughs) That there is in them, yeah. Like, it's just so depressing, <laughs> so bad.
1: Um, so when police arrived to the vehicle, they also found large amounts of blood stains throughout the vehicle. Hmm. So, Christmas Day 1985, the bodies of Ed and Minnie were found in the woods off of a dead end road. Basically, the whole town was helping search for their bodies because everyone loved Ed and Minnie, and they consider them as their own grandparents.
0: Yeah, it's just a small town. Yeah,
1: so the community was pretty close. Um, The autopsy showed both had died the day they went missing from a shotgun blast to their backs. Mm. The couple had been sitting in the front seat, and the killer um, used a shotgun to kill them from behind, so they were sitting in the back.
0: So do they shoot him in the head? or um, through the seat.
1: Ed was shot in the back of the head, and Minnie was shot, I think, like closer to the neck area, maybe shoulder. Okay, so, so it must where have they're been kind of sticking up though, sure. over the seat. Right. Um, so after killing the couple, the their dead bodies were dragged into the woods. So who killed the sweet elderly couple? Was it a home invasion gone wrong or was it because of money? So Ed and Minnie were pretty well off financially. Um, They had a Christmas tree farm, so they sold Christmas trees. Um, Dennis Hadler is Minnie's son. So... They didn't say if it was from a previous marriage or anything.
0: Different last name, though. Yeah. It must have been. Right.
1: So they just said it was Minnie's son.
0: Oh, did he do it?
1: Can you just listen Uh-oh. to my story? <gasps> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was very well known in the Lewis County area because he had owned Dennis Hadler Logging, which is one of the biggest logging companies in the Pacific Northwest. Whoa. So apparently they said if you know you work outdoors in the logging area, b- basically everyone knew you worked for Dennis Hadler.
0: Oh my! Yeah.
1: Um, so Dennis believed someone kidnapped his parents to get a ransom. So Mike Hadler, which is Dennis's son, so grandson to Ed and Minnie, um, he saw his grandparents the Sunday before they disappeared. He took Ed to the grocery store, and they got eggs and milk. Um, so he possibly could have been the last person to see them alive. Huh. Um, I guess at least in their family, you know? So, of course, to rule out suspects, the police questioned all the family members. Because there was no DNA, fingerprints, evidence... Like, there was just, like, a lack of a lot of things. Huh. Um, the investigators had little to go off of. So, the... One of the only evidence that they could find was there was a bank statement in Ed's pocket that was printed the day of the disappearance. So, the police contacted the bank to see, like... What happened? Why did Ed go to the bank? You know and that
0: would maybe make it look more like it was money driven too. They may right. make a deposit or a withdrawal.
1: Right. So the teller who helped Ed, um, she was talking to police and she said Ed called her and asked if the bank had money. And she said, Yeah, you know, we have we have some dime or nickel, you know, like <sighs> Duh, type of a thing. And he goes, well, I need a lot more than that. So he asked her to withdraw $8,500 out of his account. Um, so he goes to the bank. He gets out of his car. And they're not ready with the money yet. Mm. So then he goes back to the car. So he sees the teller coming outside to him. So he gets out of the car quickly to meet her. And gets the money. And she told police she remembers seeing other people in the car.
0: Oh. Yeah,
1: but she didn't get a good look because Ed caught her first. Yeah. You know, to come meet her. Um, Almost like he
0: didn't want her to come to the car to see. Right. Who was afraid. there. Or afraid she'd maybe get hurt if they're pointing a gun at them.
1: Right. Exactly. So then the question becomes, who knew that they had money to withdraw? So Ed and Minnie were very private about their money, only the family really knew exactly like how much money they had. Um, police also realized that there were cigarette butts in the center console of the car. So, you know, back in the 80s, you could smoke in your car uh-huh. and like every car had a little ashtray, you know, in mm-hmm. the actual mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. So there were a couple of cigarette butts and Ed and Minnie did not smoke, but Mike did, the grandson. So How the, old's
0: the grandson, do we know?
1: Uh, it didn't say. Maybe, like, teenager? I'm just thinking, would
0: is he at the age where if he's smoking in the car with Grandpa, it's okay? Right. Or if it's something he, like, hides?
1: Yeah, it must have been, because he did take Ed to the grocery store. So maybe he took their car mm-hmm. to drive. Um, he must have been old enough, I'm assuming, to drink. So I would say maybe his 20s. Oh, okay.
0: okay.
1: Uh, so at the funeral... Obviously, Mike, along with like all the cousins and stuff, were a part of like um, the pall bear. Is that what it's oh, called? They Where they carry, carry the casket. Yeah. Caskets. Um, so in the Cold Case Files episode, there's footage of it. Um, the police are recording. It. I don't know if the police are recording it or if they got that recording from someone else. Um, but you hear the police, and as the pall bears are carrying the casket. They said, there he is. That might be our killer. And so they're waiting, obviously, for the funeral to be done.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So, yeah, they waited until it was over to question um, Mike Moore about it. So Mike did have a history with law enforcement. Um, he drank a lot and got into fights. You know, small town kind of mm. boy, I guess. Not really an excuse, but... Um, but the investigators didn't have enough evidence to charge him. They never said anything more about the cigarette butts, so huh. I don't know if they were able to get DNA from it. They didn't say.
0: Must have been not been able to
1: then. Yeah. So, between, um, 84 and 86, crime, obviously, was very high in the Pacific oh. Northwest. Yep. Um, during that time, the Green River Killer was out, so... They kind of brought that into play. Like, could they have just been victims of all these serial killers that were, you know, happening (laughs) back then? Who freaking knows at this point, right? Mm. On December 31st, 1985, um, a witness called in to give a statement that she saw someone with a gun run from ed's car in that parking lot mm. to a different car and she was just like that's just weird like he's literally holding a gun yeah. in like broad daylight like what is going on I'm surprised
0: there weren't more witnesses
1: yeah well there was a few um but not too many that they uh. I, that could really help i guess um so she gave a description of what the guy looked like, which then became a sketch composite and was released to the public. But no one really knew anything. It didn't look like Mike. It just kind of was like a dead end type of a thing.
0: It's so hard. because I mean, how much time has passed now? The funeral's already happened, so it's yeah. not like she immediately went to the police right. and had it fresh in her brain.
1: Mm-hmm. She sat
0: on a while. She's probably watched some TVs, formulated, like, fill in the blanks no. of what he, the person looked
1: like. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. All right. So four years later, in April 1990, um, the police received a phone call from some guy saying that he thinks his brother is the killer because he was bragging about a double homicide. So the guy no. was Scott Coulter. I've never heard of him. I don't think he apparently was that good of a killer. Uh, so police were like, cool, we have something. Let's look into it. Yeah, It's been dead for four years now. So police devised a plan where they were pretending to be um, part of the mob. And they had... Oh, in nice. <laughs> Right? <laughs> mm. Okay. Um, actually, I think they went to Tacoma for this. So he must have been in Tacoma. Which, you don't
0: even, like, think of the mob yeah, over here. such a Chicago, New York.
1: Right. But I'm sure. Yeah, West Coast, you don't really hear about it too much, I guess. Yeah. Um. So they pretended that they had a job for Scott to do um, to be initiated into the mob. So kind of like being jumped into a gang, right? <laughs> so they have him in the car. And they were at... The airport. I think they picked him up at the Tacoma airport or something. Um, so they're in the car. And the undercover cops say that Scott needs to tell them some information that he's never told anyone. Oh, you know, yeah. kind of like, you need to tell us something bad you did or else we're not going to think you're capable for this job type mm-hmm. of a thing. And so scott says that he he was like yeah back a few years ago i killed this old couple and the undercover cops were like oh like how did you kill them and he said he um like kidnapped them and then he used like finger guns and he he didn't say anything but he just like did the finger gun oh, pointing yeah, thing, what he did. you know? Mm-hmm. And the cops knew, first of all, it wasn't a handgun. So then they asked, they said, oh. how, like, what type of gun did you use? All the information, all the little details were all wrong oh. and all just.
0: So he was just trying to build a street cred. By yeah. And killed those two people.
1: Exactly. So now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So now they're back at square one because they're like, this guy's an idiot. Not getting into the mob today, buddy. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe another day. Um, So without a killer, everyone was on edge. A lot of fingers were still pointed at Mike. Um, Poor Mike was trying to clear his name. But in a small town, it's kind of hard when you were one of the main suspects in the original case, you know? So the family um unfortunately kind of just stopped being close, stopped getting together. All the cousins weren't as close as they once were, oh, wow. just you know, it just kind of broke the family. Yeah. Um Mike had a really rough time. Um he was getting drunk like daily, getting in <laughs> fights, and one time he got in a fight and a cop came you know, to cuff him and take him to jail for being drunk and causing a fight. And Mike looked at him and said, why aren't you out there finding my grandparents killers? Mm. You know, he's just so upset. You know, there's no one to blame. Yeah. You can't really move on. Such a random, seemingly random crime. Right, right. So his dad, Dennis, um, was also having night terrors daily. Um, you know, he was saying he would have the sweats and have nightmares and fall out of bed and, you know, all the mm-hmm. things. And even his wife was like, yeah, it happened daily uh, when it was happening. And then slowly it kind of went from like weekly, you know, and it's pr- pretty sad. He you can tell in his eyes when he was doing the interview. It was it's been hard, you know. OK, so fast forward so Bruce Kimsey, he became chief detective and his main goal was to find out who killed Ed and Minnie. So the case at that point had been cold for twenty years. Whoa. Yeah. I mean it's called cold case files. All right? Um so Bruce was about ten when the murders had happened. Wait, oh,
0: the police the new
1: police chief. Yes. Okay. Yes. So wow, when I he
0: was a young chief.
1: Right? Yeah, he was about in his 20s when he, um, or, oh, he, I think he started becoming a cop when he was in his 20s. So he going be
0: at 30 now.
1: Yeah. So he was saying he remembered when he became a detective that his boss was asking, okay, so what's your goal for this year type of a thing? And Bruce said to find out who killed Ed and Minnie. Aww. And his boss was kind of like, well, mm. it's been cold for 20 years. Like, maybe <laughs> focus. Luck, yeah, focus on something else, buddy. Um, So Bruce was, I mean, the whole community was torn by this, you know. Everyone knew each other. He said that Ed and Minnie were kind of like his grandparents, you know. Mm. And it was just such a horrible thing. And that family deserves some justice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Bruce opened the case back up. He went through everything. He reread everything, looked at all evidence they had, everything. And he realized he had to think about this differently. Okay. From the original detectives to see if there's something they missed, you know. He called every person who gave a witness statement. Um Bruce Looked back at Mike being a suspect and realized if a family member did it, they would have requested more money since they knew how wealthy Ed and Minnie were. Yeah. You know, $8,500, okay. But if they, you know, had so much money and it was really family-driven anger type Uh of stuff, yeah, you probably would have requested more. And... Ed and Minnie were from the Depression era, and so they had a couple different bank accounts.
0: Oh. And
1: only um, the money was taken from one bank, rather than going to several different banks mm. to get more money. So Bruce now looks at the workers who worked for the Christmas tree farm. The original detectives of the case had photos of all the workers... Uh, of the farm but the photos were about the size of a baseball card and they were in black and white and it was so hard to see who the hell it was Mm -hmm. um one detective who was helping bruce he said it looked like it was like a copy of a copy you know when you scan something and then you scan it again it's distorted yeah and so they showed it on this episode and they all look essentially the same. You know, it's mm-hmm. in black and white. They all have, like, whatever shaggy type hair, oh. a beard. Like, <laughs> they all look like the same person. So uh, witnesses back in the 80s when this crime first happened um, couldn't verify any of the workers because you could hardly see what they looked like. Oh, yeah. So no witness pinpointed anyone. hmm So then Bruce found the original photo reel, Um, And thankfully, with technology, he was able to make it in color. He's able to clean it up and print 8 by 10 pictures of it.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. So then Bruce brings in all the witnesses again to show the updated photos. And the witnesses picked out (gasps) similar people in it. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so now, November 2005, um, Mike was going fishing and as he was driving he hears someone like yell his name so he's like what the heck like who knows me around here type of a thing and so he sees and it's an old buddy from high school named jake shriver so he pulls over um and you know the kind of whatever bs small talk type of thing catch up so then jake said he needs to tell mike something and how he should have spoken up a long time ago. Um, He said he feels a lot of guilt, and he asked Mike to forgive him. So Mike is obviously like, what the hell? Like, what are you talking about? What's going on? Okay, so at the time of the murders... Oh, so Jake was 17 at the time of the murders. So Mike must have been around 17 too then. Okay, okay. I forgot about that part. Sorry. (laughs) Um, so, Jake said he was in the car with his mom, and they were driving behind a car going super slow, so Jake told his mom to pass them. As they were passing, Jake noticed that it was Ed and Minnie, and so, Ed was driving, Minnie was in the passenger seat, and then he sees two men in the back seat. So, Jake knew who the men were.
0: Oh, no. Because
1: they were workers at the farm.
0: <gasps> Was he too scared to speak up well, all those years ago?
1: Essentially, yes. So the two men were Rick and Greg Rife. So a few days later, Greg Rife goes up to Jake and asks if he told anyone. <gasps> And Jake said no.
0: Oh, so poor kid probably was just...
1: Yeah. I mean, anybody would be terrified. Right. So um, Greg said that if Jake tells anyone what they did to Ed and Minnie, he's going to do the exact same thing to his family.
0: And to live with that awful guilt to 20 years. Right. Oh.
1: So Greg told him essentially that he um, is going to kill... His mom, dad, and brothers, and make Jake watch it and then kill him last. Yeah. So obviously, Jake was like, I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell. Then every day for a little while, it had to be a few weeks, maybe a month, the Rife brothers would drive (gasps) by Jake's house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so scary. So scary. So Jake was so paranoid. He started carrying a gun on him ever since he was 17. Just every day. He even said he's like, if I left the house and I didn't have my gun on me, I would go back to my house and get my gun. He was that paranoid. Like not able to tell anyone either. Yeah, because you're trying to protect everyone. Oh my god, I know. He was, and the interview was so heartbreaking. He's just crying, and he's
0: how could you be upset with that? Right,
1: right. But he feels like it's his fault, you know, which isn't fair. He was threatened, too. Okay, so then after Jake tells Mike, he goes to Detective Bruce Kimsey to give a statement. So the Rife brothers had a history of violence and drugs. They knew the Marines had money because, obviously, they worked for them. The brothers ended up moving to Alaska um, not too much after the murders. So they stayed in town for a little bit. Mm. And then I think they kind of were like... Okay, we got we gotta go, yeah. you know. So Mike heard that they were living in Alaska. So he actually packed his shit, got a job in Alaska, and tried to hunt them down. Whoa. Yeah, he was pissed. He was the type of guy he said, you know, I was always taught an eye for an eye, and he had like all these plans of how to torture <sighs> oh them. God. And yeah, ah. I know. It was Did the police nuts. get
0: to the right brothers first.
1: I will tell you. Um, So at the same time, the police got a warrant uh, for the brothers, and they were set to go to Alaska to get them. So the same day Bruce got the warrant, they found out Greg Reif was dead. Oh. So obviously they were annoyed, disappointed, you know. It's not fair, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's been over 20 years, you know. Old fuck, Um, but Rick was still alive. So then Mike's dad, Dennis, he found out that Mike went to Alaska Mm -hmm. and he called him. He said, You know, grandpa wouldn't want this. You need to come home now. So he did. He kind of had this gut feeling like, Okay, you know, yes, I'm angry, but police Mm -hmm. are already coming, you know, type of a thing. So now, this is 2012, which is 27 years after the murders. Wow. Detectives arrive at Rick's house. They enter and they see that Rick is on an oxygen machine. Ugh. Super overweight, just nasty. Oh, he gross. was smoking a cigarette while on an oxygen mm. machine. Um, there's beer cans everywhere, just a it's just trash. So, Bruce says, you know, we have a warrant uh, for your arrest for two counts of murder, robbery, and kidnapping. Rick is just straight up, and he goes, well, looks like I'm going to need my medications. Then Bruce asked him. Oh, my God. He said, did you ever think police would come knocking on your door? And Rick was like, well, yeah. But kind of, you know, kind of like, you guys are the idiots who didn't realize it was us type of a thing, yeah. you know?
0: Not a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, I'm life. better than you, because it's been like, yeah. 27 years now. <sighs> so in Jesus. 2013, Rick Reif was sentenced to 103 years in prison for kidnapping, robbery, and first-degree murder.
0: He's only going to survive three of those. <laughs> I
1: know. He's going to be... I mean, I didn't see any updates if he was dead or not.
0: Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. No justice. I mean, his brother didn't get...
1: Mm-hmm. We know how old
0: they were when they committed the murder. No,
1: I didn't see any of that. Um, and Rick never admitted to who pulled the trigger. He never ratted out his brother for anything, even mm. though Greg was dead. Mm-hmm. But he never admitted to it, you know, never said he pulled the trigger or his brother did or whose idea was it. To... He just
0: went with the flow of being yeah. arrested. And...
1: I mean, I think he basically knew he's, you know... He, His health is horrible. What else is he going to do? You know, just kind of take it. Why fight it when you're literally already on your deathbed? And 103 years in prison. (laughs) That's just ridiculous. Um, So, yeah, that's the story. Luckily. um, So is he at the penitentiary? penitentiary? I'm assuming so. They didn't say that. Mm. And a lot of the articles were pretty short and brief. Um and they all basically kind of said the same thing as the cold case files and I wonder if they just didn't get any other information about it. Um yeah, I don't I don't know too much else. I know one of the cousins, her name's Denise, she was talking in the episode and saying how they worked really hard to make sure that everyone remembered ed and minnie for mm. who they were and not just two victims yeah you know so that's cool yeah and at the end of the episode it was so sweet the three of the cousins got together and they hadn't seen each other in years wow. and they were just hugging and crying and they had this like bonfire mm. and just for catching up and it was just
0: because they probably always thought like that that in the back of their minds that mike killed their grandparents yeah
1: yeah oh, that's Jesus. so sad and
0: that sucks too the police focused so much on mike right while
1: the killers were under their nose right i just don't mm-hmm. know why you wouldn't look more into the workers like it seems like they just kind of asked the witnesses and all witnesses said no because the pictures were shit so they probably just were like okay that's not it then
0: well, it's like with the John Aykroyd thing. Mm-hmm. They interviewed him, but they were so focused on the husband. Yep. That they, they were kind of had blinders on.
1: Yeah. Well, and, you know, mm-hmm. back then, the technology didn't exist. Yeah. You know, so now it's almost like you need people like this detective who want to open up cases mm-hmm. and get that justice and that closing for those families.
0: Come at it in a different way like you
1: mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Whew, good job.
1: Thanks. So I have a little uh, ghost story Yay! to end this on. It's, I mean, well, we'll take it with a grain of salt. Oh yes. Um. So I got the information from hauntedplaces.org. Okay. So this is about the Lighthouse Oceanfront Resort in Long <gasps> Beach, Washington. Ooh, I know this is one. I when, go there. Yeah, I remember. I think both of us were looking at it one time when we were looking at haunted places. Mm. But Long Beach is pretty. It's on the other side. Yeah, that's a, oh, it's like a seven hour a drive. drive. It better be very haunted. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it is said to be one of the most haunted places in Washington. <gasps> Apparently in units 101 and 105 are where the ghosts are. So one lady who worked there for eight years uh, said that you know, obviously there were like doors closing and you could just hear like furniture moving and, you know, all the creepy Ooh, type mm-hmm. of stuff. Yep. Um, and she said at night time um, At sleepy time? At sleepy time. Um, she would have voices whisper in her ear I can't breathe. Oh! <gasps> I know. And no, no, so no, no. she isn't the only one that we who hear said that. that. Yeah. What? There's been some other claims where people said around three o'clock, which is oh. funny because I never really like believed the three o'clock thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one lady, she like documented everything, like exactly what time and mm-hmm. stuff and said she would hear whispers. And the big mm-hmm. one was, I can't breathe.
0: Oh, did you imagine I being woken up to whispers.
1: Oh my god, waking up to whispers. Well, Whoa. and she said... so. She woke up and she was trying to wake her husband up, but it was like she was being held down. Like she said, <gasps> she couldn't move. Oh. You know, and oh my god, that just like so scary. Oh my god. So you wonder, like, did was someone. Killed in that room was like choked or something, oh, you know, yeah. or hanged or I, you know, I don't know something. Um. So also, a team of paranormal investigators came to record and investigate and everything. Ten minutes later, they left. What? Yeah, they couldn't ah! do it. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That's
0: insane. Ten minutes later.
1: <gasps> how embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we need Ooh. Zach Vaggins to go cuz he would stay. Oh, for the TV he show. He would lock Aaron
0: in there for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Um okay, and one more I have. Um Ooh. another lady said her family went for vacation and her family experienced loud bangs and furniture moving and doors opening and closing by themselves. <sighs> And she said during the night, she heard people running up and down the stairs all night, oh. which freaks me out because when I was house sitting for you and I know what I heard, <laughs> someone was running up the stairs and it is the scariest thing mm. to know that like, you know, people should be sleeping or no one's there. And you hear like, and oh, it just freaks me out just thinking about it. Um, she also said her mother-in-law came on the vacation with them and her mother-in-law is deaf and one ears and she said she heard kids in her room with her oh, all night my gosh.
0: She, yeah, cause Oh
1: my yeah because she was asking her daughter-in-law like are there kids next door no. or you know are kids playing and her daughter-in-law was like no like <sighs> what the hell so
0: we don't know any history about this place though
1: no I mean, haunted, yeah, but... people are saying, you know, obviously, um, what was it? S- some sort of shipwreck or something. I don't know. Oh, of course. So, right. Yeah. yeah. There's so many different stories. So that's why I said, you know, take these stories with Ooh. a grain of salt because who knows? People good, though. could be exaggerating, but it makes it fun. Yeah. I like it. Zach Baggins, you better get on it. Send us your ghost stories at Murder of Ages at gmail.com and you can follow us on twitter and instagram at murder of ages and our patreon yeah donate please (laughs) (laughs) okay we'll send you some fun merchandise maybe we still need to do that yeah okay close us out
0: (laughs) to all your perverse notorious ways we'll meet you there